Obviously, I've been doing a lot of reflecting and thinking about my dad over the past week. And many of you know him uh, because of his uh, ministry and partnership with this church and because of his work at Abilene Christian University. Uh, We moved to Abilene in 1988 for my dad to, to teach ministry, to train ministers, and he began to consult with churches. And he became known as the church doctor. Anytime a church got sick, they would call my dad. Uh, especially if there was conflict within a church, uh, he would come in and help deal with conflict, try to uh, make peace, uh, bring a church back together. Uh, he also was a cultivator of church leaders. Uh, he, he cultivated leadership within ministers and also helped elders learn how to, to better fulfill their role as church leaders. And he was a minister to ministers. He spent a lot of time caring for and nurturing wounded and broken ministers. And so he had a legacy as a peacemaker and as a restorer of broken churches and broken people and broken ministers. It's a wonderful, powerful legacy. Um, As Randy Harris said at my, my dad's graveside service, his ministry and his impact, his life will continue to echo throughout eternity. Um, And it's a blessing to come to a place like this and hear some of those echoes and to see it in you. But before my dad was the church doctor, he was a local congregational preacher. So my first memories as a kid are sitting where you are watching him be where I am. I watched him preach at the Glenwood Church of Christ in Tyler, Texas. And I remember thinking, what what an important job, what an important calling. And my dad was an excellent minister and preacher. He wasn't a very good Church of Christ minister and preacher, I found out. I would be at school, and a friend would say, so you're Church of Christ. You're the ones that think you're the only ones going to heaven. And I would say, no... I don't think so. I've I've never heard that at my church. And then friends of mine that went to other churches of Christ would say, no, that's right. That's that's us. (laughs) Yeah. We're it. We've got it right. I would have a Baptist friend say, now, you're the ones that think worshiping with musical instruments is a sin, right? I'd say, no. I mean, we don't use them, but I, I don't think we think using them is a sin. I've never heard that. And my church Christ friends go, no, yeah, that's what we think. That's, that's right, yeah. And so I realized as a kid that we weren't very good Church of Christ people. It was really telling every year when my parents would have an open house and invite members of our church along with members of the community to come to our house. It was usually around Christmas time every year. I remember getting my wall-sized Dallas Cowboy football posters that I got from McDonald's on my wall just right so when people saw my room, they could look at the Cowboy posters. Well, at that open house, members of our church would be there. Our elders and elders' wives would be there. Friends from the community, friends that worked with my mom in the public school system. And then Milam Joseph the Catholic priest would show up with his clerical collar on. And then M.L. Agnew, the rector at the Episcopal Church, 
would come by to see his friend Charlie. And then Rabbi Gene Levy would show up with his yarmulke on to receive hospitality from his friend and colleague, Charles. My dad was a part of the local ministerial alliance in Tyler. He worked in partnership with Milam Joseph and M.L. Agnew and Gene Levy and Randy Finter at First Baptist Downtown and the ministers at Marvin United Methodist. A community full of Christ followers, of God-fearers, of people that wanted to do the work of the Lord. I didn't know they were supposed to be the enemy. I didn't know they weren't on our team. I thought anybody that was for God was with us. That's what I was taught. We weren't very good Church of Christ people. At least that's what the other churches of Christ told us in Tyler. We were the whisper church. Wouldn't go to Glenwood. There was a chance we might end up when the roll was called up yonder on the roll, but there was a good chance we might not. So you were kind of taking eternity into your hands if you chose to fellowship with us. We were the church where if a a, a young woman that grew up in a church of Christ fell in love with a young man who grew up Methodist, they could have a mixed marriage and both be considered followers of Christ. We were that church when somebody went through the horrible pain and destruction of divorce and felt the rejection and the condemnation of the people of God, they could come to us and be received in full fellowship as the children of God that they are. And those broken people in their brokenness could be loved on and nurtured and pieced back together. And so the church of Christ I grew up in understood the restoration movement to be churches that participated in the restoration of people, in the restoration of communities, in the restoration of creation, in joining God in restoring the world. My dad and those buddies of his started a nonprofit called People Attempting to Help that just celebrated a big anniversary and invited our family back. It's become a vibrant source of helping and nurturing in the city of Tyler. People from all different faith communities coming together to work on the big problems in the city. That's the legacy of the church I grew up in. But the older I got, the more I was told that was rare. (laughs) That that's not really what restoration is about. The restoration movement are those people that think they fully restored church the way it's supposed to be. That's the restoration movement. That we had had it all wrong. That we weren't very good at this whole Church of Christ thing. My dad went on to minister within Churches of Christ his entire life. He loved the tradition that had birthed him and nurtured him to faith. He blessed it He honored it. He worked within it. But he never let it put up walls and boundaries around who he would fellowship or who he would partner with in the work of the kingdom. And so when he died, there were plenty of people from churches of Christ that wanted to honor him 
and thank us for his legacy, but there were plenty of Christians from other faith traditions that wanted to do the same. Our faith tradition would not limit or hold back his commitment to the work of God. Well, thankfully, as I got older and as I began to train for ministry and as I studied church history, I realized we weren't such bad Church of Christ people after all. That we weren't the ones that had taken a wrong turn somewhere. No, it was those who had embraced this fighting, divisive, sectarian spirit that had taken the wrong turn. The ones that truly believed we had fully restored the church and that we were the only ones going to heaven. They were the ones that had veered off. I learned that when you look at the beginning of our movement, our movement was about unity. In the early 1800s in this country, it was a group of Christians that were troubled by all of the divisions about how you do church. And do you have to be Presbyterian to be Christian? Or do you have to be Baptist? Or do you have to be Lutheran? Whose way is the right way? Why do we have all these petty intramural squabbles about the pattern and the program? Why do we let denominational fights distract us from the mission and message of God? They said, we don't have time for that. There's a broken world that needs to experience the love of God needs to hear the good news of God's love in Jesus Christ. Broken lives need to be mended back together. Broken communities need to be mended back together. This broken creation that's groaning needs to be made whole. So whether you're Presbyterian or Methodist or Baptist, let's just be Christian. Let's be Christians only. And you can worship however you want Just be Christian. Somewhere that got polluted into, instead of Christians only, it became only Christians. The message was never intended to be, we're the only Christians. It's that we're only, just Christian only. There's a lot of room for what the pattern and what the program looks like. The goal of the restoration movement is to not take one reading strategy of Scripture, apply that onto Scripture, and think you've come up with the right pattern. That's a false teaching. That's a lie. That is not our best true identity. That's not who we are. We're about unity about bringing people who love God and one another together to care about the big things that God cares about. And I was so thankful to realize that the legacy my dad showed me was the legacy of our movement. And it's a legacy that's found in the person and mission of Jesus Christ. The gospel that Jesus preached had very little to do with church. Jesus didn't go around preaching about church. Jesus didn't spend his time on the earth talking about how to do church. 
No, the message that Jesus preached very simply was the kingdom of God is here. The reign of God has come near to you. And Jesus went into the most broken places in the world and said, okay, it's time to clean up the mess. It's time to bind up the wounds. It's, try to, it's time to heal the broken. It's time to make things right. The kingdom of God has come near to you. And when Jesus came to town, people didn't say, boy, I really got some great information today about the right way to do church. No, blind people said, I couldn't see, and now I can. Lame people said, I couldn't walk, and now I can. People said, I was possessed by evil, and now I've been set free. Community said, we were divided by racism, and now we are one. Community said, we were divided into male and female, Jew and Greek, slave and free, and now none of those distinctives matter anymore because we're all new creations in Jesus Christ. When Jesus showed up, people said, I've experienced the power of the rule and the reign of God. The kingdom of God has come near to me. That's what Jesus preached. That's what Jesus did in ministry. And that's the mission we are called to. Jesus said, when you pray, pray, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus believed that God's will would come and God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the vision that Jesus has of the future is one in which all of creation is restored and renewed and redeemed. And at times we gloss over that vision. It sneaks up on us sometimes in passages that we haven't made into bumper stickers. But there's one, for example, in Matthew 19, where Jesus has just told a rich man, it's really, really hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, this whole give us this day our daily bread, dependence on God, trust in God. It's hard to trust in God. It's hard to even need God when you've got more than enough. And when you're overflowing with stuff, it's really hard for rich people to get into heaven. And boy, that's discouraging to Peter. Because he said, let me tell you something, Jesus. It's not like we've been racking up great returns in our 401ks. We gave up everything to follow you. We closed down the fishing business. We've become homeless. We're on the road with you. We've given everything up to follow you. And Jesus says, well, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man is seated on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones Jesus has this vision of the end in which he will be enthroned. He will reign upon the earth. And it will be as it is in heaven. All creation will be bound back together, will be made new, will be made right. Restoration will occur. Well, this message must have stuck with Peter because it's a vision he shares later in the book of Acts when he's preaching to people about Jesus. 
In Acts 3, repent, therefore, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah appointed for you, that is Jesus, who must remain in heaven until the time of universal restoration that God announced long ago through his prophets. It's a vision that must have been passed on to Paul who says in Romans 8, I know there is so much suffering in the world, but I consider these present sufferings nothing compared to the glory of God that is about to be revealed. For the creation, all of creation, waits and longs in eager anticipation for the revealing of the children of God. And he goes on to say, all of creation is groaning as in the pangs of labor. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Paul says, I know this world is full of brokenness, And suffering. And when we experience it for ourselves and when we see it in those we love, we don't even have words for it. We just groan. And we ache and we labor like a mother delivering a baby, longing for that new life to come, for that new creation to be born. And Paul says, There is coming a day. when all things will be renewed, when there will be universal restoration. And for Peter and for Paul and for the early church, for the first Christians, that's the restoration movement they signed up for. Participating in the coming reign and rule of God, announcing that things are going to be made right, that things are going to be made whole. And believe it or not, that's a vision that infected the early leaders of our movement. David Lipscomb, we named a university after him in Nashville, said in God's future, earth itself will become heaven. James Harding, for which Harding University is named, said this world is God's training ground for his followers and one day he will refine it and live among us again. Alexander Campbell said, God is not one to annihilate creation. God will use any and everything he has created. God's not going to waste creation. He will regenerate and recreate and make all things new. You see, for them, The gospel wasn't about some other place. It was about God's creation, this place, being made right and coming again under God's rule and God's reign. And the role of the church in God's vision was not to be its own institution, its own structure, but to be an outpost and a foretaste and a participant in God's coming kingdom. 
The church was to be the taste of the kingdom, the vision of the kingdom, a kingdom outpost until God's kingdom come and God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. So the mission and the ministry of the church is found only in participation in the mission and ministry of God. It's a restoration movement, not just to restore some idolized view of how to do church, but to restore God's creation. I'm so thankful I grew up in a church with a preacher that I was blessed to call Dad who gave me that vision of the mission and ministry of the church. I can truly say I caught a glimpse of the real restoration movement. And you need to know I catch a glimpse of it here, too. I see in here a group of people that are ready to participate and are already participating in God's true restoration movement. And I want to encourage that. I want to encourage you not to spend your time as leaders dealing with church politics, but focus instead on kingdom politics. And the politics of the kingdom are simply this: How can Jesus, as the Lord of all, as the Lord of all, rule and reign over this body and over this city and over this community and all the communities we serve throughout the world? How can we be about serving the mission of the king, the agenda of the king, unleashing the power of the king? And as tempting as it is, don't spend your time and energy focusing on church renewal. That's not your mission. World renewal is. And churches who participate in God's renewing power in the world don't have to worry about church renewal because those churches are on fire. Because they are on the front lines witnessing and participating in the life-giving, life-changing, life-transforming power of the love of God when it's unleashed in the broken places in the world. I want to encourage you to join the right restoration movement, the real restoration movement, the movement of God's love restoring the world. And as you do so, think about the legacy you are leaving for your children and your grandchildren. I'm so glad I don't have to say, yeah, I grew up thinking we were the only ones going to heaven. It's a gift my dad gave me that I can say I caught a vision of how the love of God brings people together instead of breaks people apart. 
What will your kids say? And your grandkids say? For some people, they hear the word church. And it brings about frustration and disappointment and discouragement. But for others, it's a word that inspires, that encourages, that impassions. Because some people are blessed to be a part of churches that joined a restoration movement. Church, our communities are groaning. All creation aches. Brokenness is ever before us. But it is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed when the King comes and His will is fully done on earth as it is in heaven. Here and now, today, we can join in that work. We can experience that process. It'll look something like a Habitat for Humanity house. One neighbor at a time, you may be changing the world, restoring, renewing, refreshing. Be the right kind of church of Christ. Let's join a restoration movement.